So hello everyone. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Alec. Uh, it's great to meet you, and it's my pleasure uh, to start the the week uh, with Alec Crawford. So he's the founder and CEO of Artificial Intelligence Risk Inc. and also executive board member of Global AI Ethics Institute. Alec, I know you're a busy man, so thanks for giving us your time. Um, as I mentioned to you just a few minutes ago, we have a community of you know, founders and investors, and we are very keen to learn from you and your journey so far. And um, so please you know, tell us a little bit more you know, about your story and you know how you end up you know, uh, starting the artificial intelligence risk uh, company. And if you can also you know, expand on what kind of problem that you are solving with you know, this new startup. Well, thanks for having me on the show. That's such a great uh, intro question. And um, and I'll take a step back and just give a little bit of my background first. I was basically on Wall Street forever and always involved in almost every role in technology in, in some way. But on Wall Street, I did lots of different things, You know, ran research departments and proprietary trading areas and things like that. And uh, you know, I retired uh, from Lord Abbott at the end of uh, 2022 as a limited partner, and uh, you know, played a hundred rounds of golf in 2023. <laughs> and you know, obviously, uh, you know, AI was getting super hot. ChatGPT had come out, and people were super interested, and it really hit the popular imagination. And uh, so. So the origin story of artificial intelligence risk, Inc. is it was July, and I was looking at all these big companies onboarding AI with absolutely no guardrails, and I just looked at that and said, you know, this is just not going to end well. And forget about not ending well for a company, because yeah, that's bad, but for society and also for individuals and people, right? This is not going to end well if we don't do AI the right way, meaning ethically and safely and transparently and have AI obviously be trustworthy, right? Because yeah. obviously everybody knows about, you know, the hallucinations that large language models can have, but that's just kind of the, the beginning of the story in terms of, you know, problems that we can run into uh, with AI. So, so the business problem we're trying to solve, which I think is a great question because that's the question every founder should ask before they start a company, is what business problem am I trying to solve? Uh, is we solve the problem of onboarding AI safely and keeping confidential information confidential and personal information private uh, and being able to check AI to see, hey, is it actually working or not working, right? So we provide a platform to do that, whether you're a company with three people or a company with 10,000 people and we have different uh, products depending on you know how big your company is. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. I think, uh, well, I bet there are many companies going through that journey right now. I suspect twenty two and twenty three were the years where we have a lot of experimentation, and perhaps twenty four we start to see things landing in production. Uh, but then you know the points you made just now become even more you know important. You know as you decide to to make that fully operational in the organization. And um, I have seen you know, many, of course, there are many risks that companies are facing on a daily basis in terms of operational risk, financial risk, reputational risk, but AI 
it's kind of a special one. And I, I'm I starting to think about you know, the data aspect and I'm keen to hear your perspective because when you're thinking about using AI for any, let's say, business uh, process or business um, outcome, it I think the output will be as good as the data you feed the model, right? And I'm, I'm not sure if companies who have the data, let's say the data state in a good position to that to do that, just because the data they have just may not be, let's say, uh, calibrated with the environment, if you know what I mean. Like, it may not represent the, let's say, the overall market you are serving. So, have you do you have any thoughts in terms of the, you know, the quality of the data these companies are ingesting, you know, ingesting in order to use AI? Yeah, that's a great question and a really important problem, and why there are lots of data scientists being employed right now. So we'll start with we'll we'll kind of divide that that world uh, into two pieces for simplicity. One is large language models, which obviously are trained on lots of data, and there's some controversies around that, obviously. But it can also use other data from your company while they're generating answers. So so in that case, um, you know there there are two issues. One you point out, which is well, some of the data could be wrong, right? Which is true and that could create a problem. But what I would say there is the data doesn't need to be perfect, mm -hmm. right? For large language models, because what it's going to end up going with is kind of the preponderance of the data. In other words, if you have a hundred great answers in your what you're feeding in the model and one bad answer, it's going to go with a hundred yeah. great answers. Yeah. Right. So you don't really need to worry about that as much. That being said, uh if you ask it a question and it doesn't have the answer in its database, it's just gonna it's gonna give you an answer, but it's gonna be random, right? Yeah. And it might could be a hallucination or even worse, if you ask it a yes or no answer, it could pretty randomly ask or answer yes or no, which to us as humans looks definitive. But all the model is trying to do is complete a sentence. Right. So if it's from, from its perspective, it did a good job because it said yes or no. From our perspective, is the answer is wrong, it's a disaster, right? Yeah. Um, the, the second category, and it's way broader than this. So this is, I apologize for the simplification is machine learning, yeah. right? Which, uh, is not talking to you. It's trying to basically make decisions. And what machine learning is really good for is you trade it on lots of data and you want something that can answer lots of questions in a brief period of time, which is not easy for humans to do. And it may not always be right. Uh, but if it can be kind of roughly as right as humans and you're you're saving tons and tons of time and tons and tons of people power, that might be worth it, right? So this, for example, could be uh, something that, uh, or a good example is credit card companies detecting fraud, mm -hmm. right? With machine learning, right? So all of a sudden you get that text message on your phone, hey, is this really you charging you know, a latte at Starbucks? And you go, yeah, I'm here. Okay, then everything's good, right? Um, you're going to get some false positives and some false negatives, but look what they did with the false positive. They just texted you, you answered, everything's fine. That wasn't a big deal, right? Um, obviously, if that's something more important, like, hey, should we do surgery on someone? You know, then then obviously, like, you want some more accuracy and you probably don't want to be using machine learning as the final answer in terms of whether you need surgery or not, right? So, uh, so, it depends. 
yeah. the answer. Yeah, no, no, it, it makes sense. And you touched on some aspects where, you know, I'm not sure if you if you could call out a specific industry because I know I'm thinking about, I don't know, transportation, healthcare, banking. Um, I wonder if you call out any industry and um, where you see maybe the 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 biggest challenge because each one of these industries, I appreciate they have different domains, but thinking about the examples you just mentioned, some like, some use cases are fairly, let's say, straightforward. If you get my you know flavor, you know, my my let's say my ice cream flavor wrong, that's that's fine. But if you mess up with my retirement plan, that's another you no know, thing. So would you call out an industry? You no, know, in your recent experience, is pretty much pretty much trying to put these guardrails in place um, as sooner, no, rather than later. Yeah. So I think you start with the heavily regulated industry. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> if you're in finance and healthcare, like you got to do stuff, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so we'll start with, um, you know, the, and I'll just focus on the U.S. because there obviously are, are rules in Europe too. Uh, but in the US, there are a handful of constructs. Like one construct, which goes back uh, to the beginning of last year, is the National Institute of Science and Technology. And they've actually put out a whole bunch of kind of guidelines around AI and how to safely use AI and things like that. But the, the issue there um, is that uh, these are all voluntary. Right. Like now, a lot of companies may actually choose to do that, but they don't have to. They can if they want to. Now, maybe it's it's probably best practices. Um, but you know, we'll we'll kind of like the jury's out, right? We'll just have mm -hmm. to see uh what's gonna happen there. So in terms of um other things, so obviously we had President Biden's executive order. Mm -hmm. That had to do with cybersecurity and safety and transparency and you know anti bias and discrimination and all those are really important and good and the the large uh, tech companies have all promised to abide by them even though technically some of them are voluntary which is awesome uh, the issue is that um, some of the things that either Biden has asked for or the companies have promised are pretty hard to to do or enforce, right? So a good example is watermarking of text coming out of a large language model. Well, as soon as I copy and paste that into, you know, Word, like it's gone. The watermarking's yeah. gone, right? So it doesn't really work, right? Or they haven't found out a, a way to make it uh, work. Um, additionally, in terms of uh, another part of the rule is kind of keeping bad actors away from it. Like, oh, we don't want people, you know, building bioweapons with large language model outside the US. And again, all the tech companies are down their heads. So, oh yes, we're going to help you prevent that. But in some cases, there's no way of doing it, right? If some bad actor gets a US proxy server and does all the requests through that, how is yeah, a yeah. giant tech company going to know that the request is really coming from a uh, an evil country on the other side of the world. They won't, right? They just won't know. Um, so, and and by the way, like keeping the models away from the bad actors, half of them are open source models. Like they've already copied them. Like how, how are you going to prevent that? So a lot of these things that 
these big tech companies are promising to do and and the administration's kind of shaking their head going great see everyone's complying like are not really going to work from a practical standpoint which is not great i mean yeah, just to be yeah. very clear it's not good that it's not working i'm just pointing out that um it's not working and just because everyone says they're complying doesn't mean that's going to work and this regime yeah. is going to work now there's a another set of rules which are are coming into force probably the middle of this year so the sec for um the majority of financial companies has issued a rule called the uh a the predictive analytics rule and so they proposed this last july it had a comment period it'll probably be finalized the middle of this year and it's pretty sweeping because it's not just about ai it's about anything considered predictive analytics which includes you know just algorithms or anything like that so a good example would be uh you've signed up you talked about your retirement savings for a robo-advisor for your retirement savings. And it's telling you do this and do that and buy this fund and that fund. And one of the things the SEC is worried about is that the robo-advisor is just recommending the funds of the company that the robo-advisor works for, right? So you sign up for XYZ company robo-advisor, all of a sudden you own all XYZ funds. Oops, looks like a conflict of interest, right? So that's the kind of thing they're concerned about. But the rule is pretty sweeping. It's going to touch, like I said, the majority of financial institutions, whether they're broker dealers or banks or registered investment advisors or mutual funds, it's going to have an impact and um, and compliance with that rule obviously will be important. And that's actually one of the things that, that uh, my company, Artificial Intelligence Risk Inc. does is facilitate compliance with that SEC rule. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think typically in the regulatory front, I think historically we underestimate the, the complexity to to enforce these regulations. I think the to you know to redact the regulation. I think it's one thing, but to make it work is, as you say, uh, is another. And I think that raises a question for me around you know your your role um, on the Global AI Ethics Institute, so in shaping this ethical landscape in AI. So how that overlaps um, with um, artificial intelligence risk. Any any insights you can give on that kind of intersection? Yeah, really good question. So so let's let's think a little bit about you know why the Global AI Ethics Institute was founded. It's really uh to think about uh ethics and AI on a on across the world, right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting there is that ethics in the US and Europe primarily goes back to certain philosophers like Kant and thinking about things like, you know, what is fair and what is ethical? And a lot of that has to do with things that we're all familiar with, like individual liberty, and mm -hmm. but nevertheless not harming other people and things like that. Uh, ethics is different in other countries. Like if you went to Asia, for example, uh, perhaps they would be thinking less about individual liberty and more about the collective good as an example, right? So ethics is different in different places. So part of the role of the Institute is, is to think about that and, and not just to say, oh, here's what we consider is ethical. And if you don't like it too bad, right? It's to think, it, it, it's to come at it from different angles and, but also obviously to promote uh, ethics in AI around uh, the world 
to write research, to dig deep into difficult topics like AI and warfare and things like that, and to write research papers about it and get them in front of the people that matter, whether that's mm -hmm. in government uh, or elsewhere. So if you think about uh, ethical AI, a lot of people think about that as really a handful of things. One is transparency, right? Uh, in other words, when an AI gives me an answer, can it explain why, right? What are the inputs and outputs? How did it come to its decision? Uh, the other is privacy, meaning like, okay, if this AI has lots and lots of private information, let's just make sure that you know uh, it doesn't get out, right? And also um, uh, anti-bias and discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the issues with AI and as you point out earlier, the training data for AI is there's going to be bias and discrimination in training data. It's just going to be there. And in fact, if you want to take some data and make it so-called fair, there are a lot of different methodologies to do that, mm -hmm. which conflict with each other. So your definition of fair and ethical may be different uh, from person to person or company to company and certainly from country to country, right? So if you look at those things... Uh, I would say that keeping information private is kind of aligned between the Global Ethical AI Institute and artificial intelligence risk. And uh, but other things are we're not really as focused on in artificial intelligence risk, right? Obviously, we don't like bias and discrimination, uh, but that's not you know part of our role in terms mm -hmm. of you know, looking at data sets. We're more providing a platform for companies and third parties to, to put their models on, which will then go test for certain things. But it's not our job to go in there and say, oh, we've created a bias-free data set for you. Yeah, that's, not, yeah. that's not something that we do. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And thanks for expanding on that. I think it, it will be definitely a massive challenge uh, you know, going forward. But I think it's a it's a healthy conversation to you know thinking more let's say broader terms as you as you explained like amongst different countries and different cultures and yeah I don't think it would be a simple conversation but talking about the AI aspect so I suspect it's a you no know, it is a very hot topic at the moment and I wonder um, your you know your trajectory as a founder um, of a AI startup. Um, so what are the, let's say, unique challenges and opportunities you see in, you know, in this area? Because no doubt we see people starting AI companies because it's hot. But I don't know if that's a, let's say, if, if that's a healthy, you know, signal for you to start a company. So can you share with us, you know, some of these maybe challenges and opportunities and perils you see in embracing these new, new technology? Yeah, so I think there's kind of, two sides of the coin, like the one side of the coin is, hey, should I found an AI company, which I obviously did, right? And look, obviously you want to solve a business problem as we talked about. And also you don't want it to be super obvious. So, you know, one of the things to think about is, are the big AI companies going to do what I'm doing now in the near future? So literally hundreds of startups founded around research augmented generation. And then when OpenAI released their beta version of doing that yourself last year, and then 
released it into, into production this year, they're out of business. That's it. Like you're either going to have to pivot and do something completely different or you're done because it's now basically free from open AI. Right. So that's one absolute peril. If you're doing things that, uh, the big companies are going to do real soon. Now you got a problem or a very short, uh, shelf life. The flip side of that is, you know, what should companies be doing with AI? And, and I think that, um, the provision of the models is becoming more and more like, hey, you just have electricity coming into your home, right? You don't worry about, <laughs> yeah. you know, where Absolutely. who's supplying the electricity. Yeah. Now, now still, we're still in a, in a state where different models are good at different things and some are more expensive than others, some are faster than others. So don't get me wrong, there's differentiation of large language models for sure, and they will get better. Uh, I'm not disputing that. What I am saying is that you know, if the open day model like went away tomorrow, like I'm not out of business. There are plenty of other models that I could use to largely get done what I, I want to do. So what it really comes down to is what do companies want to accomplish with AI? You know, in other words, they really need to set out kind of what business problem are they trying to solve, right? What business purpose does the AI solve? And, and normally what you want to do uh, at the start is two things. One is start with a quick win, right? Not a project that's going to take like, you know, two years, Yeah. but yeah. also you want to get everyone at your company exposure to AI safely, whether it's a sandboxed version of the models like we provide. So we know that confidential information is going to leak out and the model's not going to swear at them or hallucinate yeah. or whatever. Sure, that's a great start, right? Just and and uh, set up some initial AI agents that do different things, like maybe answer answer RFPs or help you write marketing copy or whatever it is for that particular role. I, I was talking to a a compliance guy the other day who was like super excited that he could load in the HR handbook into the chatbot and just answer uh, people's questions rather than bugging him in his office. He was like, yeah, I'm doing this, you know, it's going to save me an time. hour, a, save me an hour a week of people coming to my office asking questions. I'm like, yeah, we've already got that. So uh, you're good to go. <laughs> that's a, that, that's a time saver. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking here in terms of, you know, um, you're talking about exposing AI safely to people and it, that triggers something in my mind in terms of talent. Cause I don't know, but in my view, not sure if you agree, but in my view, we may be facing a, I don't know, a shortage of qualified resources to really propel the industry in this new, you know, in this new area of generative AI, which is the new part of the machine learning aspect. So any any lessons you can share in terms of, you know, you know the talent scarcity, if that exists and how you attract and maintain talent in your organization. Cause I suspect that might be a challenge for many, many founders as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's a problem, right? Even if you go back before generative AI, just the shortage of developers period, let alone. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's now, true. Yeah. yeah. Now we're concerned about developers and developers that know AI, but then like more broadly data scientists, right? Data analysts and anything to do with data. Uh, and then when you're talking about large language models, uh, linguists, right? You need some linguists occasionally oh, yeah. or, <laughs> yeah. or how about like AI ethicists, like 
And by the way, if you're building an AI model to do something specific, like let's say in financial services, then you need a subject matter expert. So, so I think there's there are a lot of issues, as you point out, and I think that um, people will find kind of their highest and best use, right? So you're going to have a situation where someone who's not really a developer will take a class and become a developer or a junior developer, and someone who is a developer will learn about AI and become an AI developer, and you'll have people upscaling all over the place, which I think will be great for everybody. Uh, I think that to attract and retain talent, you know, most people are like, well, you know, it's really about the the money or this or that. But, you know, honestly, I think it's, it's a lot about the culture of the firm mm-hmm. and it's about leadership of the firm. And it's about uh, how important is the problem you're trying to solve for society. And right now, like getting AI to work safely is probably one of the biggest and most important problems for society. Uh, I mean, I've seen the Terminator movie. So uh, we don't want that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think there's another aspect there. I I wrote a blog um, just over the weekend about you know, AI being a crossroads. And one of the questions I raised was around the... I don't know, maybe the the gap in our educational system. Because I, I was reflecting back on my time, right? Where you 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 have to provide the right answer. But now it feels like, at least in my you know daily use of generative AI, it feels like the key skill now is to know, you know what's the question. Because we have the answer, but what's the question? And but that is predicated on you having the you know critical reasoning skills, which I suspect universities today don't really foster as much. Would you agree with that? Do you think there's this kind of gap in terms of you no know, the workforce leaving the the educational system, not really being prepared to you know make the best use of these new new tools? Would you agree with that? Yeah, it, I mean, super interesting question, and and I'm not going to answer it directly. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it a different way, which is. Look, you look at schools and universities now, and honestly, some of them are taking polar opposite views to AI. Some are literally kind of like banning AI from campus. You can never yeah, use it, yeah. right? And others are saying, no, you can use it, but you have to show us kind of the before and the after version, then we'll talk about it, right? Well, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen when you ban AI from campus. It's going to be like prohibition right? Like people are just going to be doing it anyway. You're just not going to see them doing it. And then you're going to have that sliver of the population that's being honest and trying to do everything themselves get smoked by the the rest of the population that's that's effectively cheating by using uh, large language models. And there's actually a um, an ongoing cat and mouse game at this point where there are tools out there to detect if something was generated by a large language model, right? And even what percentage was generated by a large language model. And literally people have been hauled in their boss's office and told a model wrote this, not you. If you do that again, you're fired. And meanwhile, the person's like, no, I wrote it. I swear. Like, I don't even know how to use large language models. And then on the other side, you've got companies offering a product online, which will take your text, check to see if uh, it looks like it was generated by a large language model, and then tweak it 
So it doesn't look like it was generated by a large language model. So you can see these this cat and mouse yeah. already starting. And some people feel, and I mean, I don't mean a, a few people, I mean, millions of people feel that their jobs are on the line. Yeah. If they get caught, you know, using a large language model to generate something, even if they didn't really do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's the, I think there's a cultural change we're going through now. Maybe it's like inflection point in the industry where it reminds me of the time when um, people used, start to use Excel, you know, and then everybody say, oh, well, can you use Excel? Of course I can. But you could see people that were a little bit more proficient and being able to do more sophisticated things with Excel and manipulate numbers in, in large quantities. So I suspect you start to see a similar kind of you know, thing with uh, large language models. But yeah, but no, absolutely. And uh, I think just to uh, think about in terms of you know, how this market is changing on a on a daily basis, at least. I would say every half an hour, there's something new coming up. So can you share with us what are some of the, let's say, of the trends and developments that you're excited about in the field of AI? And and more importantly, how, how you keep yourself, you know, updated and informed, which I think it's, it's a challenge for you know, everyone. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's multiple things to be informed about, right? You've got, you know, the regulations, which you talked about before, there's the base models like ChatGPT versus Mistral and who's good at what. Uh, and then you've got all the different use cases and plugins and all kinds of, and abilities, all kinds of interesting stuff. You know, what I, what I think is, um, you know, coming down the pike very quickly and is interesting is everything outside of text, right? Mm. Image generation, image reading, image manipulation, uh, uh, all, and a lot of this obviously is not being used for good as we talked yeah. about earlier, you know, deep fake videos, uh, deep fake audio. I mean, uh, even years ago, people were getting phone calls from the CEO saying, uh, you know, send me money or gift cards yeah. or whatever, which people are like, what, you know? And, uh, and now it's gotten to the point where uh, a, a Hong Kong bank was just scammed recently uh, by a kind of deep fake of the CFO saying, Hey, I need you to send a secret wire somewhere, you know, like out millions of dollars, you know? So oh, you gotta be super, you know, super careful about this stuff. Now, what I, what I, I mean, I love reading. I'm a big reader and um, I got to say it is super, super hard to kind of find um, great resources at this point because there's just so many of them yeah, and it's yeah. just going to get worse, right? There's a thousand books about AI. How many are really that great? I don't know. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll go through, you know, what I recommend in terms of of uh, different things uh, for uh, our listeners. And then, you know, we can put them in the show notes later so people don't have to awesome. frantically yes. uh, write yeah. down. So uh, so for online videos and classes, uh, I really like Andrew Ang's deep learning uh, class, which is on Coursera. That's a classic, it's been out there for a while. And then uh, Cassie Kuzerkov was at Google forever, you know, for a decade and taught a lot of classes there. Now she's got her own place, but these, but her videos are on YouTube, obviously Google, 
Uh, her intro to machine learning class is, is over six hours, but amazing. And there are other people in there too. It's not just her, but that's the name to look up on YouTube. And she also has a good data science for beginners class, which is also on YouTube. And there are tons of other videos and classes and things like that um, that are popping up there, which are, are useful. In terms of books, I happen to really like uh, Ethical Machines by Reed Hoffman, which is, I'm sorry, Reed, uh, uh, Reed Blackman, which is a, a, a really uh, great book, an intro to uh, how to think about ethics, really from a corporate standpoint. It's not... Mm -hmm. So much government or uh, you know global, but but more about um, how a company should should think about it in terms of setting up an ethics board and what you should use AI for and not, and being careful about things like uh, transparency and bias and privacy and things like that. And then uh, blogs and podcasts. Obviously, we talked about my blog, stayblog.substack.com, which also has two associated podcasts, including the AI Risk Reward Podcast. And then I really like, and this is more from a practitioner or founder standpoint, you know, Lenny's podcast, which is just like it sounds, uh, is really excellent. Uh, he sometimes provides some written stuff along with that. That's on Substack, uh, easy to find. And then uh, not surprisingly, the OpenAI blog is yeah. really good. Uh, I mean, you got to stay on top of that. And then obviously the regulatory information, you've got the EU regulations, which you could just go to the, the EU site for that, um, and, and which is uh, commission.europa.eu, and then uh, the NIST site and the, the National Institute of Science and Technology in the, use, in the US has a great site uh, for their AI risk management framework. And then, uh, and then also some of the law firms have uh, really good takes on regulations and what you're supposed to do and the timeline and how things are developing. Uh, my favorite one is Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z, uh, which is a law firm that writes a lot about this. Um, and uh, I may have a relative working there, but this is not a plug for, <laughs> for you to hire the law firm. Um, but I, I honestly do think that's a, a great uh, a great uh, website for, for content around there. And there's just a million blogs and podcasts and things like that. A lot of them are on Substack. So I would recommend going to Substack and just searching AI and yeah, see yeah. what, uh, see what pops up um, and what intrigues you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think no, these uh, references are gold because uh, not known to me, some of these uh, no, podcasts and, and links you mentioned uh, is definitely on my list. Now we'll put that on the, on the show notes, I'm pretty sure that will help many of our founders. Uh, but Alec, um, you know, uh, thanks for you know sharing with us your experience, you know, your insights. Uh, I learned a lot from this conversation, and uh, yeah, so thanks so much. Hope to you know remain in contact, and uh, all the success in your you know uh, endeavor. So thank you so much. Great. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Great to be here. Good stuff. Thanks. Thanks, Alec.